Pause. There we go. And now we're going to go into, we've been in a series forever, it feels like, um, called The Journey. And we started with a couple booklets that are discipleship booklets. So they're booklets that you can keep with you so that as people come into your life, into your circle, and they accept Christ as Savior, and you, they maybe want some direction, uh, they are little booklets. They're available on the back table. They're free. Take them if you're going to use them. If you're going to not use them, then, you know, the cost is a waste for us. But if you will use them, uh, you can take as many as you need. Uh, take people through them. That will help ground them in the Scripture. It will help ground them uh, in their relationship with the Lord and how to walk that out. Uh, and then this one, we've been walking through together. We made it all the way to part two. <laughs> and there are 14 parts. Part two tells us that Christianity is all about relationships. And so we put that in terms of tables because at Restoration Church, we love the table. We think the table was important in the ministry of Jesus and it's significant for us. And we talked about the table of intimacy, the throne room of God, that place that we continuously enter so that we find uh, grace, that we receive mercy. Uh, we stay at that table all the time. You don't ever get up from the table of intimacy with God. We learn how to live at that place. But at the same time, we sit at the table of communion with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we also sit at a table of connection with people in the world, making sure that we connect with them in a way that brings the kingdom into their sphere, into their lives in some way. Some people will need to have those encounters with the Lord many times before they make a decision to follow him. And so we never want to downplay any connection we can make with people that are not yet followers of Christ. Everything we do matters. And everything we do takes them one step closer to a, a decision to follow after Jesus. And so learning to sit at those tables and, and being constant at those tables is what we talked about over the, the months of May and June. And in June, we looked at specifically Restoration Church and how that fleshes out in our body, what that looks like. When we commit to a local body, what does it look like? And we talked about the past and we honored our past and we celebrated some of the things God had done. And we even used the past to challenge us. You remember the 18-year span that this church was the number one missions-giving church in all of South Dakota for 18 years straight. And so we talked about finishing what they started last week. And so if you weren't here last week, we talked about faith promises and giving to missions and how important that is. We are currently at about just over $1,000 that has been promised every month for our global partners. We need to get that up to about 2000 a month to be able to fulfill the commitments that we have. Um, and so we talked about the reasons to make that. I'm not going to rehash that. If you want to watch that message, it's available online on our podcast or on uh, our YouTube channel, and you can find those and watch those. The, the Faith Promise cards and pamphlets are on the table in the back, so lots of stuff out there. And then this week, we're starting to use this book. It's called Draw the Circle. It's a book by Mark Batterson, and starting on July the 5th, so on Wednesday, uh, there is a daily reading, so day 1 through 40, um, all the way through August the 13th, and we're going to start praying. 
We're going to be praying for uh, our faith promises. We're going to be praying for our global partners and global outreach ministry. We're praying for vision and direction for our church. As we talk through the months of June about um, the, the direction we feel like our, the Lord is leading our church as far as looking for property, our, our deacons, we are, our leaders are always looking. Um, nothing that we've absolutely settled upon yet, but we're going to communicate with you more in the weeks ahead, the months ahead, some things that the Lord has laid on our hearts. Um, and we want you to continue to pray with us for that direction, uh, for the, the type of um, favor that we might need as we walk through that process as well. And the, the book, The Circle Maker, which is different than the book Draw the Circle, uh, this is a devotion book that is based on a book by Mark Batterson called um, The Circle Maker. And The Circle Maker is a story about a guy named Honey. Honey the story of, of his life is told in the Jewish Talmud. We've talked about the Jewish Talmud. It's a, uh, a history. It's a collection of Jewish writings. It tells the story of the Jewish faith. It kind of elaborates a little bit on our scriptures. And um, some scholars think it's very important to understand the Bible, and some people think that we don't need it at all. Um, the Talmud is actually referenced many times in our New Testament. Peter and Jude both reference books that are contained in the Talmud. And so while we don't necessarily consider them a part of our scripture, we do think that they're very important books and they give us an understanding of the scripture. And so Honey, the story is told by Mark Batterson in The Circle Maker, uh, lived about 100 years before Jesus and he was known for his piety and he was known for his prayer. And Israel at that time had been going through a great drought. So the people begged Honey to pray for rain because if it didn't rain soon, they felt like the nation would be totally wiped out, destroyed. They were in that desperation uh, for rain. So Honey began to pray and no rain came. So Honey drew a circle on the ground and he knelt in the circle and he began to pray for rain and he said to the Lord, he would not leave the circle until God answered with rain. So when it began to rain, it just was a light rain. So Honey upped his prayers, and he began to pray for more rain. That wasn't significant. It wasn't enough to, to heal the land. And so he prayed for more rain. Well, then a torrential downpour came, so much so that most of the water was running off the dry ground, and so it wasn't soaking in. So Honey upped his prayers again and prayed that God would send a good rain, a soft rain, one that would soak into the land, that would nourish the land, that would heal the land, and would save the nation. And God answered Honey's prayer. Now, it's a story that is documented in Jewish history, in the Jewish Talmud. Uh, whether it's folklore or whether it's a true story, um, it illustrates the type of prayer that many times we think that Jesus calls his disciples to. The Jewish leaders at the time did not like Honey. They felt like his prayers were too brash, that he took too much liberty but they could not argue with his results. And so I believe as we read through these 40 days of testimonies and challenges that our prayer lives are going to be stretched, they're going to be encouraged, they're going to be strengthened. And so there are copies of this, if you don't have one yet, on the table in the back. There's a schedule, in case you forget what day it is. Um, there's a schedule out there as well that marks off the days from July 5th to August the 13th. And one of the things that Mark says in the introduction to Draw the Circle is that most of us, when we pray, we pray ASAP prayers as soon as possible. God, I need this right now. ASAP. And he says, over these next 40 days, I hope God turns your prayers in from ASAP to ALAT. 
as long as it takes. As long as it takes. I do think that in the, especially in the American church, the Western church, I'll just lump us all in there, we give up on prayer before the results come. Like we have been conditioned in the Western world to get what we need now. And we want it now. And prayer doesn't always work that way. And so today, to kind of start us thinking about prayer and jump us into this 40 days of prayer, I've titled the sermon, Praying with Chutzpah. Praying with Chutzpah. This word chutzpah is kind of a Hebrew concept. It's a Hebrew term. It's really a Middle Eastern term. Um, Chutzpah defined is simply boldness, utter nerve, or sheer audacity. It's boldness, utter nerve, sheer audacity. It is not arrogance. It's not demanding. It's not proud. But it is strong. And Honey is a great example of that type of chutzpah that I believe God is looking for in His people. We see it in the lives of many people throughout the Scripture. I put a short list together. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 18, begins bartering with God about destroying the city of Sodom. I mean, far be it from you to destroy the righteous with the wicked. I mean, based on the character of God that Abraham knows, he begins to barter with God. And God agrees he won't destroy it for 50 righteous all the way down to 10. By the way, those that are prophesying about how God's going to destroy the nation, maybe we need to be like Abraham and just saying, God, for 10 righteous, spare us. That might be a better prayer to pray than, you know, the judgment that's coming. Genesis chapter 18, we see it. In Genesis chapter 32, Jacob wrestles with God. And then at the end, when he says, let me go, he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's chutzpah. That's the kind of people that God is looking for. Um, It looks a lot like demanding, but the motivation of the heart is not there. Eleazar in Numbers chapter 25, this isn't a prayer, but this is an action. Because chutzpah is not just praying, sometimes it's action. And if you remember the story in Numbers 25... It's kind of a crazy story about a Hebrew man and a Midianite woman that are desecrating the temple in a way that's inappropriate. And Eleazar runs and grabs a spear because God has sent a plague upon the people and he runs the spear through both of them into the ground. And God praises him for it. That's a lot of chutzpah right there. I mean, I'm just saying. Elijah on um, Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18. um, 450 prophets of Baal, 400, 400 prophets of Asher. He throws tons of water on his sacrifice, and God sends fire. I mean, there's no record that God told him to have that showdown. I mean, maybe God did prompt him, or maybe based on who God is, Elijah acted with chutzpah, knowing God would respond. We just don't know. Jesus displayed chutzpah often. You know, I think of um, Eleazar and his zeal for the house of God and Jesus cleansing the temple with a whip that he had fashioned out of cords, um, delivering or demanding to the people that they have turned the house of prayer into a house of robbers. Then Jesus has an encounter with a Phoenician woman in Matthew chapter 15, Mark chapter 7, where she's begging Jesus to heal her demon-possessed daughter. And Jesus basically says to her, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. A very um, common way to refer to Gentiles. Jewish people look down on, on Gentiles. And so Jesus, I do not believe, was being derogatory toward this woman. I believe he was pulling her faith towards him. 
And so I think he was trying to teach his disciples a lesson because they would have agreed when he said, hey, it's not right to take children's bread and give it to the dogs, you Gentiles. The disciples would have probably been sitting around going, mm-hmm, amen, you tell them. Like, you get right with God and then you're going to get the children's bread. And the woman says, but even the dogs, whoo, get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. The unoffendable nature of this woman a Gentile woman had more chutzpah than the, the disciples that were following Jesus. And Jesus said, your faith is great. Your daughter is healed. Go in peace. Man, that is just the way to respond. And how many of us, man, the littlest thing happens to us and we get all offended and then we wonder why, you know, prayer requests don't get answered all around us. We need to start praying with chutzpah. Jesus tells two parables that illustrate this point very well. And one is found in Luke chapter 18, and I put it on the screen in what's called the Complete Jewish Bible. If you use um, uh, the, the Bible thing that I use online all the time, which I use every single day of my life, and for some reason it is just blown away from my mind. Um, no, version. it's on version, but there's another one. There's a website, and uh, it, it, Bible Gateway! It's so great to have people in that use Bible Gateway too. BibleGateway.com, it's on there as well. You can use tons of different translations when you read the Scripture, and you can see how scholars just love to argue with each other about what all these mean. Um, but the complete Jewish Bible leaves some Hebrew terms in there that uh, you'll see why I chose these versions as we go. But verse 1, Luke chapter 18, Then Yeshua told his Talmudim, so Jesus told his disciples or his learners, Yeshua told his Talmudim a parable in order to impress on them that they must always keep praying and not lose heart. In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected other people. There was also in that town a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Give me judgment against the man who is trying to ruin me. For a long time he refused. But after a while he said to himself, I don't fear God and I don't respect other people. But because this widow is such a nudnik, pest, bothersome, annoying. There you go. Feel free to use. No, don't use the word nudnik. But she's annoying him. I will see that she gets justice. Otherwise, she will keep coming and pestering me until she wears me out. Then the Lord commented, Notice what this corrupt judge says. Now, won't God, who, by the way, is the antithesis of this just, unjust judge, okay? Because this corrupt, Jesus is using hyperbole here to say the God who is the exact opposite of this, Okay? He will grant justice to his chosen people who cry out to him one time. No. Who cry out to him day and night. Is he delaying long over them? I tell you, he will judge in their favor and quickly, suddenly. Like, it just, you just don't know when he's going to show up. But when the Son of Man comes... Will he find this trust on the earth at all? In other words, will he find a people that trust him enough that they're going to keep coming to him and coming to him and coming to him? There's this idea out there that if you have faith and you ask once, that's all you have to do. Jesus did not teach that. 
Jesus teaches right here that you keep asking and you keep seeking and you keep knocking because it seems like God is delaying long. But trust me, He's hearing you. He's responding to you and you don't know all that He's doing. But if you trust Him enough, you will keep praying. It's people that do not trust Him that stop praying. People that trust Him know His character, know His goodness, know His faithfulness, never stop. They pray as long as it takes for the answer to come to pass. That's chutzpah. That's audacity. That's boldness. That's persistence. And it declares we trust in God. We have used this idea of trusting the story since 2020. I preached an entire series when we went through COVID. Many of you maybe blocked it out because it was COVID. And you're like, I never want to go back there. But we talked about trusting the story from beginning to end that God is doing. He has not changed or altered His plan at all. He has called us as to be partners with Him, bringing into this world the kingdom that He's already established. That's praying with chutzpah. chutzpah. Now, does our life, does our prayer life reflect that? I would guess most of us, if not all of us, would say, well, I think I've got some growth to do. Well, praise God, we've got 40 days to jumpstart, almost like a, a jumping a car battery that's died. We're going to jumpstart your prayer life a little bit. And we're going to begin to circle the, the needs in our church, in our community, in your life. And we're going to be, begin to believe God to intervene in those situations. Now, Jesus tells another story in Luke chapter 11. One time, Yeshua, Jesus, was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his Talmudim, his disciples, said to him, Sir, teach us to pray, just as Yochanan, John, taught his disciples, Talmudim. He said to them, when you pray, okay, this is what Jesus taught. We're familiar with this. Matthew's version is slightly longer than Luke's version, but here it is. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. Give us each day the food we need. Forgive us our sins, for we too forgive everyone who has wronged us. And do not lead us to hard testing. Now, in the Jewish culture, there is a prayer known as the Amidah. The Amidah is literally a standing prayer. It's just a prayer they would pray maybe several times a day, but they would pray together. And in, in the time of Jesus, even before the time of Jesus, they would meet at the temple, they would gather in groups of 10, and they would recite the Amidah together. They would pray this prayer. And you had to be in groups of 10. So if you were, went to the temple and you got in your group of 10 and you prayed the Amidah, and then you would be leaving the temple and there would be a group of nine that would be like, hey, we need one more. And you would go and you would pray with them and you would pray the Amidah. Um, and it's not just from rote memory, but it's a prayer that you're praying with faith, believing that God is going to hear. So if you Google it, the common or the, the modern versions of this have gotten very long. But the, the shorter versions from back in Jesus' day and, and, and after follow much of the same format that Jesus gave as a prayer. In fact, it has all of the same sections of prayer that Jesus gave. And so here's an example of an Amidah that we found from the time of, of Jesus. We believe it dates to then. It says this, Our Father, the one who dwells in heaven, may your name be holy. May your kingdom come as we do your will here on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us today the bread of today. Deliver us from the evil one. Cursed be he. That sounds a whole lot like what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. So when Jesus is, the disciples come and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Here's Jesus' response. 
you know how to pray. Just pray. Oh, we need to hear that in our world. We're all out there. I got to find the right words to pray. I got to find, find the right motto to pray. I got to find the right room to pray. I got to listen to the right podcast, read the right book. No, you just got to pray. I, don't, I mean, when we think of prayer closet, do you know what the prayer closet is for the Jewish person? It's to take the shawl that they're wearing, their prayer shawl, and wrap it over their heads like this. Then they're in their prayer closet. And they did it at the Temple Mount. So it's not like they locked themselves away, hidden from everybody. They just closed off the world and started praying. Now, I'm not suggesting you do that at your desk. But maybe. You don't have to wrap a shawl around your head, but you just have to bow your heart. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to bow your head. You just have to say, Lord, here I am in your temple, in your throne room right now. I need some mercy and some grace. Boom. That's what Jesus is teaching them. The only thing... Jesus added is the forgiveness aspect. There's no Amidah that we have found where forgiveness is a part of it. This would have been mind-blowing for them, that God is inviting us into the forgiveness process. Remember when Jesus in John chapter 20 told his disciples, um, forgive, whatever sin you forgive is forgiven. And scholars don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. They're like, I don't know what that means. But, um, but it, it's, it's the power of forgiveness when I forgive others, it doesn't change them at all. It changes me. And it makes me more like my father who is merciful and gracious. And every time I hold on to bitterness or resentment or anger or I refuse to forgive others, I become like the father of lies, not like my father in heaven. And so I release those things. I forgive. That doesn't mean I always get right back into relationship with people, but I walk towards restoration with people because that's what Jesus did. And that's what he modeled for us. But, man, we could go on for days about that one. So in the middle, Jesus is just saying, you know how to pray. There's not a formula. There's not a secret. Just pray. So then he goes on in verse 5. He says, suppose, you, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him in the middle of the night, and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine who has been traveling has just arrived at my house, and I have nothing for him to eat. Now, this is so hard for us in our Western culture because we're not like these hospitable people. And so we're like, dude, go get your own bread. Walmart's open. Um, and you just have to understand, this, this is a shame-based culture. So if I don't have something to give when they come, that, that's a huge stain for me. So verse 7 says, Now the one inside may answer, Don't bother me. The door is already shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up to give you anything, but I tell you, even if he won't get up because the man is his friend. Yet because of the man's chutzpah, he will get up and give him as much as he needs because his honor is at stake. He's not giving up until he gets his bread. He knows there's bread in the house and he's not leaving. So the man realizing that is going to finally get up. But you have to understand this is hyperbole again because no Jew worth their salt is going to stay in bed while their friend is at the door needing bread. He's going to get up and he's going to give it to him. And Jesus is using this hyperbole again to teach his disciples this statement. Verse 9, I say to you, keep asking and it will be given. Keep seeking, you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open. Everyone who goes on asking receives. He who goes on seeking finds. And to him who continues knocking, the door will be open. Is there a father here who, if his son asked for a fish, would give him a... a would instead... A, get, who asked him for a fish would, instead of a fish, give him a snake. Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion. So if you, 
even though you are bad. That's such a poor translation still. Know how to give your children gifts that are good. How much more will the Father keep giving the Ruach Hedokesh, which is just Holy Spirit, from heaven to those who keep asking Him? Every time we pray, as we talked about a few weeks ago, we get filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of grace fills us in a way that gives us what we need when we need it. So even though our circumstances may not change instantly, our hearts, our minds begin to be changed. When we come before the Father in the right heart, in the right mind, with the right motivation, and we just ask, you cannot, be cha- you cannot leave that place unchanged. You can't. That's the type of, of prayer that Jesus is telling them to pray. So praying with chutzpah, with persistence, with boldness, knowing that God is good, that the Holy Spirit is coming the moment you start praying to, to empower you, to strengthen you, to give you patience, to give you perseverance. And the goal is transformation. The goal is not getting your circumstance to change. The goal is getting you to be more like God so that your prayers line up better with the will of God so you understand Him more and you can trust Him even when He doesn't do it the way you've expected it. There's a book by Lois Treverberg. Her name is so hard to say. Um, The book that, that she wrote, she actually wrote a chapter called Praying with Chutzpah in Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus is the title of that book. But there's a quote from that book that I put up on the screen. It says, The faith that we're supposed to have is not in the outcome. Because there are a lot of people out there that are saying, Well, God didn't answer your prayer. You didn't have enough faith. Hogwash. Thank you, Marv. Um, That's not the case. Jesus told us, You need faith like the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. So it's it's not faith in the outcome. It's faith in God himself. He wants us to be absolutely convinced of his love for us and his power and desire to take care of us. Anytime God answers prayer, he does so out of sheer grace, not because our prayers are earned as a response. God is good, powerful, and loving. And whatever answer he gave, I could still be assured that this, most, this is the most important fact of all. We can pray boldly because we know that God is good and loving, but there are limits to how we should speak to God. There is a fine balance between speaking to God out of loving trust and treating Him with backslapping over familiarity. So there's a line between chutzpah and arrogance that we don't want to cross. Okay, But you will get accused of arrogance by lots of people, when you start praying with this type of boldness. Prayer increases our intimacy with the Spirit. It helps us to pray in the will of God for the glory of God. And that's what Mark is going to challenge us over and over again. When Jesus taught his disciples in John chapter 14 about praying, again, he says in verse 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, meaning greater in scope. I mean, you can't do more greater than raising Lazarus from the dead after three days. It doesn't get greater than that. The greater means all of us with the Spirit are now going to be going out doing the kingdom business everywhere we go. But most of us don't develop the type of intimacy with the Spirit where we are hearing Him, responding to Him, and we're acting on faith. Most of us are afraid. We don't want to be too presumptuous. 
And so we just pray, oh, Lord, whatever your will be. And Jesus over and over told the disciples, you know my will. I've told you my will. You know what the Father wants. Micah, all the way back in the Old Testament, told the Israelites, you know what the will of the Father is. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. So if there's an injustice, you have the right as a follower of Christ to pray for justice in that, po- in that place. Because it's an injustice that needs to be righted. He says, you will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Praying in the name of Jesus does not mean a tagline that we just throw on the end of our prayers and then say, here's what I want, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name means in Jesus' authority, in Jesus' place. He was sent by the Father, and He said, The Father sent me, now I send you. I send you in my authority that I have from the Father to do my will. Not your will be done, but my will. And you know what my will is. And the more intimacy you have with the Spirit, the more you understand His will. And like Peter and John, you're on the way to a prayer meeting, and you don't get your oil out and rub it on the guy's head and pray over him. You just look him in the eye and you understand that the Father wants to do something in this moment. So you say, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand and walk. Now, it's not just something I can turn on, but if I'm not going to get in the, the closet with the Lord, if I'm not going to walk in, the, in, in intimacy with Him, if I'm not going to sit at the table of intimacy, then I'm just playing Russian roulette with my prayers. And that's what happens for most of us in the body of Christ. We really don't have an intimate relationship with the Father. We know Him, but we don't know Him. And when we begin to know Him, our prayers have a boldness to them. And some of you are just afraid to pray with boldness. I mean, you have an intimacy with the Father, but the enemy comes and he's like, oh, you can't ask for that. You're being presumptuous. You're being arrogant. Mm, If you're walking in intimacy with the Father, can I tell you, if you get arrogant, the Holy Spirit will let you know. Just keep an ear out. And sometimes He'll let you know through other people, probably other people you don't want to hear from. But, But He'll let you know if you're asking in arrogance. Just start stretching your faith. You don't need to pray for more faith. You need to stretch the faith He already gave you. You need to start circling some big requests in your life. Oh, just so much good stuff in there. But we've got to keep moving. Uh, one more quote from Lois um, from her book, Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. The Jewish attitude toward persistent bold prayer differs in yet another way than the name it and claim it kind of prayers. Most often, this un- unabashed prayer was not for oneself, but on behalf of others. Honey wasn't demanding the latest model donkey to drive or ride. He was pleading for rain for his desperate nation. Abraham, too, was interceding with God on behalf of the Sodomites, not even for his own people. In fact, Abraham's tenacious wrestling with God over Sodom was considered especially heroic because he was pleading for God's mercy for sinners. He, he had compassion for the suffering of others, even if the wicked city deserved God's punishment. From Abraham's example, the Talmud, that Jewish commentary, teaches, whoever is merciful to his fellow beings is without doubt of the children of our father Abraham, 
Whoever is unmerciful to his fellow beings certainly cannot be of the children of Abraham, our father. Sounds a whole lot like the words of Jesus. If you're not merciful, you're not of my father. Jesus says, Israel's greatest heroes were all distinguished by this self-forgetful pleading for God's mercy towards others. In the desert, when the Israelites had abandoned their covenant and God threatened to destroy them, Moses used some chutzpah, and he begged God to refrain from judgment. Moses even turned down God's offer to make his own family into a great nation in Israel's place. King David pleaded for the people of Israel when God sent a plague as punishment, asking him to strike his own family instead. Jewish thinkers note that for some mysterious reason, God wants us to plead on behalf of sinful people. Now, the Jewish people, for some mysterious reason, for us, we understand that's who he is. Like, God is always merciful to sinners. He says in Ezekiel, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. Circle that one in your Bible and say, saddest verse in the entire Bible. God looking for someone to stand in the gap for sinful people, and he found no one. God does not want us to stand by passively and watch judgment come on others. He wants us to intercede, both telling them to repent and begging God to be merciful. Interestingly, Jesus fits into the first category of showing chutzpah on behalf of others, not just in the temple. Like Abraham, David, and Moses, he pleaded for God's mercy on the perpetrators of his crucifixion because they do not know what they are doing. See, we love the chutzpah of Jesus when he drove out the money changers. But do we love the chutzpah of Jesus that's willing to be crucified and ask for the mercy on on the perpetrators? It's the same chutzpah. In fact, Jesus' whole ministry was for the purpose of seeking the lost sheep who had wandered from God's enfolding embrace. Finally, bearing our sins, Christ's heroic chutzpah on the cross became the ultimate triumph in gaining God's mercy for a world full of sinners. So yeah, we're going to pray over the, the next 40 days. We're going to circle large requests, unsaved loved ones, miracles that you need to see in your home. We need vision and we need direction for our church body. Uh, we want God to do whatever he wants to do. We want him to, to do surgery on our hearts. We want him to change our mindsets. We want him to transform whatever he needs to transform. We want to pray for our city. We want to circle our enemies and not say, God, give them what they need or give them what they deserve, but we need to say, God, give them mercy. God, pour out mercy upon them. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. God, shower them with such kindness that they they fall on their face and repent before you. That's the type of prayer that you and I need to be praying right now for our nation, for our city, for our state, for our governments. The prayers of Ezekiel chapter 22. Here's what she referenced. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. I looked for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. So I have poured my anger on them and destroyed them with the fire of my fury. I hereby repay them for what they've done, declared the sovereign Lord. I don't know if you remember on 2001, uh, September 11th, 2001, when so many Christians immediately uh, jumped on uh, TV and other places and talked about judgment, the, the judgment of God on, uh, on our nation because of abortion and homosexuality and all these things. And that's why September 11th happened. Um, I'll just say, to me, that's a poor choice, poor timing 
uh, when people have lost loved ones, that's not the timing to jump on that. And I would also say, read Ezekiel chapter 22. Because if God ever judges this nation, perhaps it's because he found no one to stand in the gap. And I want to be a church that if we err, we err on the side of mercy. Because I know how merciful he's been with me. And there's no one out there that has gone farther than I've went. And so I know that God longs to be merciful. Now, yeah, he needs people to repent. But sometimes street preaching isn't the way to get them to repent. It, sometimes it works. I love Jacob Bach. does it all the time in Spain. Sometimes people need to be, but by the way, they do it in Spain, but they have a prayer house that's open 24 hours praying for God's mercy on people. So if you're going to street preach, make sure you have a prayer base to go with you. Okay, so they go hand in hand. I hear the words of Luke chapter 18 right there. When the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of trust on the earth? Man, I hope he does. I hope he does. And so I hope over the next 40 days, as we go through this devotion, this is meant not to replace your Bible. Uh, there are a lot of scriptures in here. Uh, stay with your Bible reading plans. But I pray that this challenges you. It encourages you. It stretches your faith. And I want to hear your stories. If God heals a hangnail or a wart, I, I mean, he's going to heal warts in this book. He's going to do things. Keep your ears open because you're going to pray for one thing and he's going to do something else. I mean, it's just the way God works. And we want to hear your testimonies because that's going to encourage other people. And we're going to keep praying. And so faith promises, global partners, church direction, your lives, whatever it is that you need to draw a circle around. And for the next 40 days, starting July the 5th, we're going to begin to trust God and we're going to trust that God is good in every outcome. We're going to be filled with his spirit. We're going to use the language of intimacy that in our prayer times over these next 40 days. For some of you, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and it was a one-time moment for you and you need to dust off that language and begin to use it every single day of your life and begin to walk in the intimacy of the spirit so you get shaped and I believe, oh, I believe boldness, boldness is not going to be loud. It's not going to be loud. There are some of you in this room, there's a quiet boldness on your life just screaming to come out. And you're going to get in the prayer closet over the next 40 days. And I, I feel like a boldness, I'm praying that a boldness comes over you, that you just start saying things before you even have time to think of them. That the Holy Spirit just fills your mouth with stuff that just blesses people around you and brings miracles and the kingdom into the into people's lives that you come in, in uh, contact with through these next couple of weeks. So um, I want to pray for you. I want to take just a few moments. We're going to take maybe just three or four minutes, and I want to pray over you as we get ready to start this week. And so I'm going to ask you, like I always do, put your hands out in front of you. Um, if you believe that God can do anything, <laughs> put your hands out in front of you. <laughs> and I'm going to pray just for God to do a work in our lives over these next uh, 40 days. And so, Father, I just thank you for what you've done. God, thank you the, for the assurance that we have right now for what you've done. God, your word says because of what Christ has done, we can come boldly before your throne. We come with chutzpah before your throne. God, never in arrogance, never demanding, but we come with boldness because we know who you are. <laughs> you are a gracious 
God. Lavishing love on thousands of generations. No good thing do you withhold from your children, from those who fear you. And God, I know that over these next 40 days, there are a tremendous number of needs that are represented in this room. And God, I pray that by your spirit, you'd lead us on things that we need to circle. Maybe dreams that have died, (laughs) they're not dead. Dreams that are dormant, that need to be revived in our hearts. Callings, plans, purposes, healings, salvations. God, restoration that maybe we've given up on. Holy Spirit, forgive us. Forgive us for turning away. Forgive us for for not persevering in prayer. Empower us to pray with chutzpah in these these next few weeks. God, as we pray for the lives of, of, of kids at Royal Family Kids Camp to be changed and altered, God, I pray that the, the members of this congregation would circle that camp. God, asking for you to demonstrate mercy, kindness, and love in a powerful way to every child that steps on those grounds, to every staff member that steps on those grounds. God, help us to circle our enemies. Those wounds that we're carrying, people that have hurt us. God, help us to pray from heaven's perspective, especially when we pray for our enemies. God, that we would ask for your mercy on behalf of our loved ones, our nation, our city, our state, our world. God, when we watch the news and we become angry and frustrated, help us never to sit in a seat of judgment. God, help us to cry out for mercy and justice. Justice for every single victim and mercy for every single perpetrator. Holy Spirit, over these next 40 days, shape the hearts and the minds of the members of Restoration Church that we would be a people that imitate you in everything we do. That we would be gentle and kind, full of mercy, abounding in love. Holy Spirit, guide us. Bring to our mind people that maybe we've forgotten that need to be circled. Coworkers, where you're already at work in their lives and we're unaware. And Holy Spirit, help us Help us to watch for the opportunities to act on our prayers. When you give us the opportunity to meet a need, when you give us the opportunity to minister to someone that maybe is the subject of our prayers or someone else's prayers, help us to be ready to act with that same chutzpah that we're praying with. And rather than driving a stake through them into the ground, Help us like a a skilled surgeon to use your word to just cut away ever so gently so that you can penetrate their hearts and their minds. 
And so Holy Spirit, we look forward to all that's going to happen over these next 40 days. We know that no prayer is going to go unheard or unanswered. And so help us to be aware of the ways you are at work in our lives, in our church, in our city, in our state, our nation, and our world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. And uh, I'd love to hear stories that you have over the next 40 days, whatever God does in your heart. Um, If you don't have a copy of the devotional, they're on the table in the back. The schedules are there. Um, Lots of information at the table as well. Um, Offering baskets are there today for tithes and offerings and our global outreach offering is there today. Uh, If you want to give online, you can text 84321 or use the Church Center app. Uh, If you have any questions, our hosts are out in the lobby. I'll be out there in just a few moments. God bless you as you go today.